Well, Jumping Hurdles is the name of the message series that we're in. And in this series, we've been looking at great stories from the Bible about people who overcame great obstacles or hurdles in their lives. And these hurdles are tests that God allows us to encounter in our lives. And God's purpose is that with his help, we are able to jump the hurdle or to pass the test, one and the same things. And so really this series has been very helpful to me. Uh, rather than seeing difficulties or trials in my life as roadblocks that's going to stop me, I now see them as hurdles, uh, something to leap over with God's help and to continue moving on. And so when we recognize that God has allowed a hurdle into our life, how should we respond? Well, James 1 verse 2 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance or steadfastness, which, which means uh, endurance. And so how are we to respond to hurdles or trials in our lives? We are to count it all joy. Easier said than done, isn't it? Why, why would we consider a trial to be something that we would be joyful over? Well, because we realize that God has allowed it to come into our lives for our good. He has a plan. James goes on to say in this verse that the purpose of trials, or we might say hurdles, is to test our faith. To test our faith. And as we continue to trust God in the trial, it builds steadfastness or endurance in our lives. He helps us to overcome, to jump each hurdle as we Jump each hurdle in life. We are strengthened as we continue on the path in the race that he has for us. Now, today's message is entitled Badge of Courage. It's, it's about having the courage to be overcomers, to jump the hurdles in our lives. Now, the hurdles that come into our lives are not all the same. They're not all the same height. Right? Some hurdles are low. They're pretty easy to jump over. Just a little speed bump in the road. Other hurdles are pretty high. We're like, I don't know. Maybe I can't do this by myself. I need God's help. Some hurdles are fairly easy. Some are much more difficult. Revelation 2 verse 10 talks about a difficult hurdle. It says, do not fear. For what you are about to suffer, behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. It was a letter written to the early churches in the book of Revelation. That you may be tested. And for 10 days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. And so this verse gives us some additional information, some additional instruction on how to face very difficult hurdles. We are not to fear. And whenever the Bible tells us do not fear, it's because we will be tempted to fear when we face these fall difficult hurdles. The devil is seeking to take advantage of us in the trials that come into our lives. He's seeking to stop us with these trials or hurdles, but God is there with us. The last phrase speaks of the hardest hurdle, being faithful unto death. It talks about where being faithful to the Lord may result in death. And those who lose their lives because of their faith, the Bible calls martyrs. The Greek word for witness, martus in the Greek, is the same word for 
witness, it also means martyr. And so being a witness for Jesus often results in some forms of persecution. I'd like us to watch a, a video this morning uh, called Finding Life. It's about the Wurmbrands. They were Jewish Christians during World War II, and they lived in Nazi-occupied Romania. And I believe it's going to help us understand a little bit about what it means to face big hurdles in life and to be faithful to Christ even in those times. In 1940, Nazi forces invaded Richard and Sabina Wurmbrand's home country, Romania. There were no safe spaces for Jews. And though Christian, Richard and Sabina were ethnic Jews. afraid for I am with you Genesis 26 do not be afraid of them Joshua 8 I am I'm kind of afraid Richard and Sabina, like many Christians during World War II, had a choice. Lay low and hope the worst passed them by. Or get involved and be the hands and feet of Christ. All at great personal risk. I think we have to stay. We have a job to do. 
If they are coming, then they are coming. Let's not think of them as enemies to be feared, but rather as a mission. Like Sabina and Richard Wormbrand, today's persecuted Christians, living in hostile areas and restricted nations, are bold witnesses for Christ. Choosing to give up their comfort and safety in this world in order to find a life that counts for eternity. The first request from our persecuted Christian brothers and sisters is, will you pray for me? As we pray for them to endure opposition in order to advance the gospel, may we be inspired by their example to pay any price necessary in obedience to Christ. Matthew 16, 25, the verse that was quoted there in the video says, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And so what does this verse spoken by Jesus, what does it really mean? It means if you seek to save your physical life by denying the Lord, by not following him, you will lose eternal life. But if you choose to lose your physical life for Jesus, you will find eternal life. Now, the Wormbrands risk everything. They continue to follow Jesus. They continue to seek to hide the Jews that the Nazis were after in their, uh, in their country of Romania. And eventually, Richard was imprisoned. He spent more than a decade in prison. He was tortured repeatedly. He wrote a famous book called Tortured for Christ. His wife was imprisoned as well. Eventually they were released after many, many years in prison and they uh, continued to serve the Lord around the world until they passed away sometime in their 90s. So what does this have to do with us today? We, we're not in peril of losing our physical lives by witnessing for Jesus right now. And I pray that will never be the case here. But I believe God wants to inspire us by those who have risked their lives for the gospel. If they risk their lives, their very lives, their physical lives for Christ, we ought to lay down everything that keeps us from following Christ, everything that keeps us from being a witness for Jesus. And so today we're going to look at a story in this series about the life of the first Christian martyr. His name was Stephen. So let's see how Stephen prepared really for the greatest battle of his life. So we pick up the story in Acts chapter 6, verse 5. And it says, And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Our story begins with a church conflict. Uh, there was a conflict between the Jewish widows and the Hebrew widows in the book of Acts. It regarded food distribution. One of the groups thought the other group was getting more food than them. Uh, widows at that time couldn't work, and the uh, church was supplying the food for them to eat and exist. And so these two factions of widows were uh, having troubles. And so the apostles appointed seven men to oversee the food distribution and restore harmony in the church. 
And the first one on the list that is uh, given to us is Stephen. And his job was to serve these widows and to reestablish harmony between these two groups in the church. Now, how is Stephen described here? It says he is full of faith and he's full of the Holy Spirit. Wonderful spiritual qualities. And even though he had these wonderful spiritual qualities, Stephen was willing to serve in what many might have considered a menial role, serving food, meeting physical needs. Well, Stephen chose to do that. Of course, not knowing what was going to come down the road for him. Verse 8, we read that Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. So not only was Stephen full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, now he's full of grace and power. God is continuing to work in his life. And so serving the widows did not stop Stephen from seeking God's power. It did not stop him from doing even greater things for God. It says he was doing great wonders and signs. Now, we don't know to who he was doing these great wonders and signs. Maybe it was the widows. They probably needed help. Some of them needed healing. Prayed for them and they were healed. And as Stephen was willing to serve God initially in a way that's really out of the spotlight, that ministry opened doors for God to, do, to move in power in his life. And so we see as Stephen was faithful to help out in ministry, God opened the door for further growth. Now what happens when God begins to move through someone in power? Well, what usually happens, I would say what always happens, is there is opposition. There is a hurdle that comes. Something that God allows into their life to test them. And that's what happened with Stephen. Verse 9, then some of those who, were, who belonged to the synagogue rose up and disputed with Stephen. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so some of the Jews who who belonged to this local synagogue, began to argue with Stephen. And what did they argue about? Well, obviously, Stephen was doing more than just feeding the widows. Uh, he was doing more than just signs and wonders. He was speaking. He was teaching. He was being a witness for Jesus. And what would the Jews of the synagogue and Stephen argue about? Well, it doesn't say, but the focal point of Christianity is a man. His name is Jesus, the Messiah. Promised in the Old Testament, born, New Testament era, the Son of God. The Jews of that day, indeed the Jews of today, do not recognize Jesus as the promised Messiah. They see him simply as a good man. And so there is a big difference between what Stephen believed and the members of the synagogue. So even though they argued with Stephen publicly, they didn't prevail because Stephen was speaking with the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was speaking through Stephen. And we're going to see that happen more as we go on in our message today. The Holy Spirit that had worked miracles through Stephen was now guiding Stephen's words as he spoke. And so there are some important lessons for us today as, as we learn from the life of Stephen so far. We see a progression in the challenges or hurdles that God allowed into his life. First of all, Stephen was 
raised a Jew, or he was born a Jew, but he, he spoke Greek as well as Hebrew. And at some point, somebody witnessed to him about Jesus, and he accepted Jesus as the Messiah. He accepted Jesus as his Savior and Lord. Now, that was a big deal for a Jew back then. It's a big deal for a Jew today. That is not a simple thing. But Stephen, as we say, jumped that hurdle and became a believer. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. His faith grew. He learned from the apostles who were teaching. And then Stephen was asked to oversee this food distribution to the widows. He could have said no, but he accepted that responsibility. But his spiritual growth did not stop there. That did not stymie his spiritual growth. He sought for more of God in his life. He began to do signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit. And then another hurdle, the, the Jews began to oppose him. They began to argue with him, undoubtedly in public. And once again, he relied on the Holy Spirit to give him answers to the things that he was being confronted with. Now, in the same way in our lives, God prepares us in advance for the next hurdles that are coming our way. As we seek God's help to meet the challenge of the next hurdle, he helps us to jump it. He helps us to overcome it. And that prepares us, guess what, for the next hurdle. So don't think just once you jump one hurdle, it's all done. Eventually, there'll be another hurdle, and it may be that hurdle is a bit higher. You're going to have to jump a bit higher. Opposition can come to any of us. If God is, and if you're a believer, he is at work in your life. If God is at work and he is at work in our church, there are going to be hurdles that happen, hurdles that come. We must expect there's going to be opposition. Opposition can take many forms. Some opposition is conflict from people. Other opposition is uh, it can come from the devil in all kinds of ways, unforeseen circumstances, things that happen in the physical, in our lives. We don't have to go, you know, washing machines breaking down, uh, cars going out, all kinds of things. Whatever opposition comes into your life, don't be surprised. The devil's behind it, but God has allowed it. And God has allowed it because he's got a way for you to overcome that hurdle, to come through with faith to pass that test. And all of this prepares us for the next thing that God has for our lives. And so Stephen then was faithful to speak the truth boldly. We're going to jump over to Acts chapter 7. I'd encourage you to read Acts chapter 6 and 7 this week if you want to get the whole story. It says, And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And so since those who couldn't refute Stephen's teaching publicly, they falsely accused Stephen of committing blasphemy, of saying things against God that were not true. Now this was a false charge, but in the Jewish religion, in the Old Testament, the penalty for blasphemy is capital punishment. It's death. It was a serious, serious uh, crime. So Stephen was apprehended. He was brought before the Jewish Sanhedrin for trial. And the verse that we read is when the high priest who was officiating the trial begins to question Stephen about what is going on. And so Stephen gave a lengthy answer 
And in this answer, which you can read in Acts chapter 7, he traces God's work in Israel down through the centuries, beginning with Abraham. And what's interesting is that Stephen wasn't seeking to defend himself against his charge of blasphemy, which was not true. But he was being a witness, as we'll see, for Jesus. He spoke the truth boldly, even to these Jews who were opposing him. We come to the conclusion where things get interesting. Verse 51, Stephen, still speaking at this trial before the Sanhedrin, says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And so Stephen comes to his conclusion of this, of this uh, speech about God working in the nation of Israel. And he talks about the resistance of the Jewish people to the Holy Spirit. And so with these statements, as we'll see, inspired by the Spirit, Stephen is making it clear that he's not afraid of dying. He's going to present the truth no matter what happens. Uh, he's not holding back. He's not concerned about himself. Uh, if he was concerned about himself, he would have tried to defend himself, not irritate or say anything negative to anybody else, but what he was doing was speaking the truth no matter the cost, speaking the truth boldly. He goes on to say in 52, and which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, that's the Messiah, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Wow. So Stephen concludes his speech. He gets finally to Jesus. Uh, Jesus, who was prophesied in the Old Testament, the coming Messiah, had come and he was betrayed and crucified. Old Testament history confirms that repeatedly down through the centuries, the prophets spoke of the coming Messiah and they were persecuted. Now the conclusion of Stephen's message is, is very similar to the conclusion of Peter's message on the day of Pentecost. You look at it, we don't have time to compare the two conclusions. But Peter also said he convicted the people of their sin, of betraying the Messiah and crucifying him on the cross. But the immediate results were very different. On the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people were saved and gave their hearts to the Lord. But the response of the crowd in front of Stephen on his trial in front of the Sanhedrin would be very, very different. And so Stephen gives us an example of, of laying down his life, laying it all on the line, speaking the truth boldly, no matter the cost. And so God calls each one of us to speak the truth, to speak the truth boldly to those around us. And as Stephen did, as he went through this his talk, his defense, it really wasn't his defense, but speaking the truth to this court. Our witness should always lead ultimately to who Jesus is. And we see that Stephen got to that. Stephen was the Messiah. I mean, Jesus was the Messiah. Jesus was the divine son of God. Secondly, our witness should lead to a discussion of repentance. It's not possible to be saved without admitting your sin and turning away from it. Now, as we witness to people, it may not all happen in one conversation. 
But over time, those are the important things to talk about. We learn from Stephen's example to, to speak the truth boldly. Not worried about what people will think. Not worried about negative, any negative consequences. And in order to do that, what did Stephen have that we need as well? We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit to be the witnesses for Jesus that God calls us to be. So think about in your own life. Who are the people in your life that you know don't know Jesus? Or perhaps there are people in your life you're not sure if they know Jesus or not. I would say make a list and if you're not praying for them, begin to pray for them. If you are praying for them, continue to pray for them. Continue to pray that God would speak to them. Pray that God would give you opportunities to speak to them about Jesus. That he would give you the words to say. And then when the opportunity comes, grab hold of that opportunity and share the good news. And again, oftentimes in our relationships... These are things that happen over time. They may not rarely happen in one conversation. It could, but it rarely happens in one conversation. Usually it takes weeks, months, oftentimes years to faithfully share the truth with someone until the Spirit of God enlightens their minds and they make a decision for Christ. Speak the truth boldly. Finally, we learn how Stephen chose to lose his life for Christ. Acts 7.55, but he, that is Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Well, sometimes when I read those first verses, I said, hey, Stephen, maybe you were too hard on those guys. You know, was that really the Holy Spirit or was that just you? But this verse gives us the answer. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. I believe every word that he said in that court was inspired by the Holy Spirit. And Stephen was then given a vision by God of heaven as he stood there in that court. And he saw heaven in a vision. Not only did he see heaven, he saw God the Father. And he saw Jesus. Now normally... When the Bible talks about heaven, we see God the Father seated on the throne and Jesus seated by his side. But in this case, Jesus isn't seated. He's standing. He's standing. Why is he standing? Well, I believe he's standing in honor of Stephen's witness. He's proud of Stephen. Stephen knows what's at cost here. Stephen knows that his life is in peril. But he is being faithful to Share boldly. Well, the whole court did not get saved that day. That didn't happen. It doesn't always happen. Sometimes it had happened on the day of Pentecost. Stephen presented a spirit-empowered, spirit-anointed witness. Everybody didn't get saved. As we'll see, some did, but that's another story, really, but... What happens here, verse 58, then they cast him, that Stephen, out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Stephen was at peace. He was receiving this vision of heaven. He's seeing God the Father. He's seeing Jesus standing there. But in contrast, the mob is enraged. 
It says they're grinding their teeth. They're yelling. They're cursing. They're stopping their ears. They don't want to hear anything more that the Holy Spirit was saying through Stephen. They rushed at him and they began to throw stones at him. They were out of control. Demonically inspired. False witnesses who charged him with blasphemy were laying their garments at his feet so they could better throw the stones, apparently. The mob was breaking the law. It was not, under Roman law, permissible for them to execute capital punishment. Only the Roman government could. And so they were breaking the law as well by stoning Stephen. And here we see in the last sentence of this verse that the witnesses laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul was a Pharisee. And it was obvious he was in agreement with the stoning of Stephen. Now, he might not have cast the stones. We're not sure if he did or not. But he was there participating with everybody else. Of course, if you know the story... Eventually, Saul became a believer. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute. Well, as they were stoning Stephen, it says in verse 59, he, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against him, against them. And we had said this, he fell asleep. And so as Stephen was dying there under, I'm sure, considerable pain, the stones hitting him, he asked the Lord to receive his spirit. He knew that he was going to heaven. He knew that he was going to be with Jesus. And then he asked the Lord to forgive those who were killing him. Now, what do those words remind you of? The words of Jesus on the cross, in which he committed his spirit to the Lord as he died, in which he asked the Father to forgive those who were crucifying him as well. And so truly, Stephen, we see, was following Jesus' example, not only in his life, but in the manner in which he died. He had chosen to lose his life for Christ. And as we know, I'm sure that scene of Stephen dying for Christ remained with the with Saul and reminded him of Stephen's life. So what does it mean for us to lose our lives for Christ today? We're not facing death as a martyr, although Christians across the world are. There are more martyrs each year now than ever before. You don't read it on your news, but it's happening across the world, in many countries, the Mideast, in Africa, other countries, people are losing their lives for Christ. It's getting particularly bad in Nigeria now with the Muslims. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters in these countries. But what about us today? What about us today in America? In another scripture, Jesus spoke of denying ourselves and taking up our cross to follow him. And so to lose your life for Christ is, is something that God wants us to practice each and every day. It means to not do the things that you want to do. It means to do the things that God wants you to do. God had a plan for Stephen, and it was for him 
to give up his life as a martyr. Thousands of years later, Stephen's example still speaks to and encourages us. You see, Stephen died, but his life, his story, his words continue today. To lose your life for Christ is to do everything out of love for him. To serve him and others, even though you might rather be doing something else. To give up your time, to give up your resources, to give up your talent so that others can hear the gospel, both here in St. Louis and around the world. You know, in today's world, we can impact people across this planet by giving to missions. To think of how you can seek God's kingdom first, as Jesus told us. Seek his kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. And as we lose our lives for Christ, we, we find true life. We find eternal life in greater measure. And so God put Stephen's story in the Bible to encourage us, to teach us what commitment to Christ is all about. As Stephen began to follow Jesus in a rather mundane ministry, he was preparing for an unknown future battle. I would guess that as Stephen was serving the food to the widows, he had no idea that a short time later he would be seeing Jesus in heaven, that he would die a martyr's death. But yet that was preparing him. He was preparing for an unknown future battle. And so our obedience today prepares us for the future. When opposition arose to Stephen's witness, he didn't clam up. He didn't stop talking. He spoke the truth boldly. He spoke it without fear. And how did he do that? Well, all the while we're repeatedly told that Stephen was what? Full of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us power to follow Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit that gives us power to be his witnesses. You see, sometimes people say, well, it was the apostles in the New Testament that did everything. Stephen was not an apostle. He was just simply a believer that chose to follow God above everything else. Every believer is called to be a witness. Every believer is called to share the love of God. And finally, Stephen gave the ultimate sacrifice. He lost his life for Christ. He became a martyr. And as, as we ponder his example of following Christ, we're inspired to follow Jesus with the same passion. Stephen didn't know, as I said before, what the future held for him as he was asked to serve the widows. Nor do we know what the future holds for us. We make our plans. We seek to follow God, but we don't know. And yet we know the one who holds the future in his hands. He knows. And he's preparing us for the future. He's helping us to jump the hurdles that are immediately in front of us. And as we do that, as we lose our lives for him, we gain true life with him that lasts forever and ever. And so this morning, I want to give everyone here an opportunity to repent and become a follower of Jesus or to recommit your life to him. If you've done this in the past and you feel like you want to be closer to him today, you want to make a recommitment, it's never wrong to recommit your life to Christ. To do that, you need to first of all admit that you've sinned. You've done wrong things. You repent. You turn away from that sin. Secondly, you believe. You believe that Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for your sin, that you might be forgiven. He rose from the dead, and you commit your life to following him 
as your Lord and Savior. So I'd like to ask all of us to bow our heads right now. And I'd encourage you to pray along with me if you'd like to pray this prayer for the first time or you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus Christ this morning. Pray something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. And I repent. I turn away from those things. I want to follow your plan for my life, not my own. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for my sin, that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. Come into my life. I believe Jesus rose from the dead and I commit myself to following him as my Lord and Savior. And for, let's pray as well. Father, today, we thank you, God, for this story of Stephen that you put in your word to encourage us, to motivate us, to challenge us, to live for you, to lay down our lives for you each and every day. God, we pray that you would prepare us for the battle of tomorrow by helping us to meet the hurdles of today. That when a hurdle comes into our life that you allow into our lives, God, help us to trust you, to believe that you're going to help us to leap that hurdle. You're going to help us to overcome that test because you've allowed it and you are going to give us the power and strength and resources to keep moving toward the finish line. God, help us to speak the truth boldly as we see Stephen doing, as your Spirit empowered him to. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives to speak the truth boldly to those around us whose lives hang in an eternal balance between heaven and hell, God. We pray, God, that we would lose our lives for Christ. That we wouldn't try to save our lives. That we wouldn't be concerned about ourselves. But we'd be concerned about serving him. The one who died. That we might be set free. We pray God that you give us opportunities to share the good news with those around us. Help us to boldly take advantage of those opportunities. That more people would be saved and come into your kingdom. We pray for the missionaries that we support God. We pray that you would use them and their areas of the world in which they are ministering to preach the gospel, to build your church, that your glory would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.